Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's debate day in Cleveland, the one we've been waiting for, the first presidential debate, and it's right here in our fair city. It's this week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Chris Warnowski, Laura Johnston, and Jane Cahoon. And we have a big day ahead of us because it's not just we have the debate. We also have the opening game of the baseball playoffs with the dreaded and much hated Yankees. <laughs> I, I, I actually, I wondered yesterday, it's like, is there a statistic somewhere that shows like, does a debate host city not watch the debate because baseball's on? Like, are, are we going to have nobody in the city of Cleveland actually watching the debate that's happening in the city of Cleveland? <laughs> I think today is the definition of a two screen day. Yeah. Everybody will have both on. I mean, because look, in a normal presidential debate, yeah, all right, who cares, right? They're just blathering. But this has drama. I mean, you have Donald Trump in the debate. Who knows where this one could go? You don't want to miss that, and you don't want to miss the game. The good news is the game starts at seven a couple of hours before the debate so it should be well along before the debate begins so let's begin our morning discussion what is cleveland cliffs and what's its new claim to national fame chris ranowski this is one of those merger stories that you wonder does anybody in cleveland really care because (laughs) it's a big national international kind of story but there is an element you mentioned before we began today that people do care about so take us through what happened and why it's important to people. Well, Cleveland Cliffs is an iron ore mining company, and their history is actually – they've been around a very long time. They actually date back to 1847. Uh, the company supplies iron ore pellets to uh, the North American steel industry from its mines and pellet plants in Michigan and Minnesota. Um, and yesterday, Cleveland Cliffs uh, bought – uh, the U.S. assets of uh, Arcelor Middle, uh, the world's largest steelmaker, for uh, $1.4 billion in cash and stock. Um, the acquisition means Cleveland Cliffs is now the largest flat-rolled steel producer in the country and the largest uh, producer of iron ore pellets, according to the companies. And the deal comes just a few months after Cleveland Cliffs bought AK Steel Holding uh, for $1.1 billion in stock. So, yeah, that's a I mean, that's a pretty big deal uh, for people who work at these companies. You know, uh, ArcelorMittal has a has a plant here in Cleveland. It is located just off of Eggers Avenue, uh, basically right on the Cuyahoga River, which, you know, what you know, when we were talking about this before, you know, you said, you know, I wonder if anybody even cares about this. Well, yeah, it, it, our, our cellar middle is one of the reasons why they dredge the river. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it, it's actually kind of a huge environmental deal because, you know, every so often they have to clean out that river so the ships can pass through and make it to the plants. Uh, and plus, you know, there's hundreds of people that are employed with these companies. So, so yeah, I, I think it's a pretty big deal. It's a big <laughs> environmental deal also because it yeah. spews a lot of smoke into the air. There was a period back, I don't know, about 18 years ago where the plant closed down for a while and it was surprising how clean the air was after that plant wasn't running. Go ahead, Laura Johnston. 
I was just going to say, it's the reason we get to watch all of those gorgeous, big, giant Lakers in our our lake and then trying to maneuver down the river. So the Cleveland Cliffs actually used to own the own sh- their ships that would bring uh, the iron ore in. So that's what's down at the Great Lakes Science Center. So if you're thinking, I know I've seen Cleveland Cliffs somewhere, it's on the Willi- um, the Mather ship down by um, North Coast Harbor. So right. it, it does have a long, I mean, it has Cleveland in the name, right? So right. that's always a good thing. Yeah. Good thing Rock the Lakes, uh, Laura Johnston was here. <laughs> <laughs> I got to take a ride down on the Dorothy and Pathfinder to the steel plant and watch them uh, unload the iron ore. It was very cool. Oh, wow. All right. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What does the Greater Cleveland Partnership, representing the region's business leaders, want done with HB6, the nuclear plant bailout that was forged in corruption with First Energy Cash paying for bribes. Jane Cahoon, this was a little bit of a surprise because it's a major business group and HB6 took care of one of their their members pretty well, but they made a pretty strong statement. What was it? Yeah, surprisingly strong. The statement called on lawmakers to repeal and possibly replace House Bill 6, quote, to remove the alleged stain of corruption on the law and to enable the restoration of the energy efficiency program supported by our members. And, uh, you know, as you might recall, the, the nuclear bailout law gutted the state's energy efficiency and renewable energy standards. So those are business people who who care about those things too. So, all right. So, so every legislator who's in office now was in office when this stinky bill was passed and a lot of them voted for it. The, the governor has called for the repeal. Lots of people have called for the repeal. Now business leaders have called for the repeal. Why the hell aren't they repealing it? <laughs> oh, if we only knew that answer. I mean, there have been a lot of suggestions that they're really slow walking this. They're they're trying to act like they're doing something when they're really not. That's but not me saying that. That's that's other critics saying that. But why not? I mean, this is bad. This stinks. Everybody looks at this as a stinky mess. This is one of the hottest stories of the year. Why stand by it? It makes you suspicious. If if this whole deal was forged in corruption, which the federal government has laid out pretty cleanly that it was, doesn't it raise questions about why the, the motives for why they're not clearing it out now? Is something bad going on now? Are they all, you know, doing bad things to keep this in place because somebody's in the background, you know, plying them with with bribes again? I mean, what is the deal? Why don't they <laughs> if get only we knew, thing? I think we need somebody to get wired up and, and go in there and, and tell us what's going on. Yeah. I mean, everybody who goes to the polls in November ought to keep track of whether their legislators voted for this and have done nothing to get rid of it. This is the most corrupt deal in the history of the state. And every member of the House and Senate is is vulnerable because they're doing nothing to clear it up. Well, good for the GCP for joining the litany of people who are public minded that want us to have not corrupt deals going forward in our energy policy. It's this week in the CLE. Why does General Motors have to pay back $28 million to the state of Ohio involving its abrupt shutdown of the Lordstown auto plant? Laura Johnston, this is one of those things that you always hope will happen when companies that get big deals end up not not living up to the terms of them. And it looks like good things are happening here. 
Right. So they didn't keep the terms of their deal for $60.3 million in state tax credits from 2008. So they had promised to keep thousands of jobs at the assembly plant in Lordstown, which used to make the Chevy Cruze car. You've probably seen the car, the, the car and the sign if you've driven through the Mahoning Valley on the turnpike. So that plant is now shut down. GM got $60 million and in its deal with the Ohio Tax Credit Authority, this, I think yesterday, GM agreed to invest $12 million in the Mahoning Valley area by the end of 2022 because it didn't, as part of its, its payback. That can happen through community infrastructure, jobs training, or other community programs. The rest of the money, which is about $20 million in tax credits, won't have to be repaid because the state is taking into account, quote, market conditions and GM's other operations in Ohio. Is GM fighting it or are they agreeing to pay it back? No, I think that they that this was an agreement that everybody, they reached and they realized that they didn't live up to their uh, promise was that they were going to retain 3,700 jobs through 2028. And then in 2010, they agreed to hire an additional uh, 200 workers before 2010 and keep them through 2037. But, you know, they cut back their workforce over two years. And then in November of 2008, they announced they'd closed the Lordstown plant. They laid off 1,600 remaining workers. And then in 2019, they sold their plant to an electric vehicle startup. So they realized they they didn't really probably have a lot of ground to stand here. But um, you're right. A lot of politicians have spoken up and said this was a good deal for Ohio to get some of the money back. I think DeWine put out a statement and Dave Yost. Yeah, Dave Yost had been calling for the clawing back of the money. I mean, he right. he was pretty vocal about it, and he did give the governor a salute for for following through. Okay, it's this week in the CLE. What Ohio artifact did President Donald Trump and Senator Rob Portman examine and praise on the White House lawn Monday, a day before the president was to head to Cleveland for the first debate with Joe Biden? Lord Johnston, this is kind of a Follow up to a previous discussion we had on the podcast about GM abandoning Wordstown and having to pay Ohio a bunch of money back. This is the other side of that coin. So what, what, what happened yesterday? Exactly. So this is the electric truck from Lordstown. It's called the Endurance. And they took a look at it in the front lawn of the White House. And of course, this was a Northeast Ohio photo op right before Trump is coming to Northeast Ohio for the debate. But Trump claimed success for boosting the region's economy after General Motors shuttered the plant that made the cruise. He said the Chevy cruise. He said the area was devastated. Beyond the plan, it's incredible what's happened in the area. It's booming now. It's absolutely booming. So I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, except <laughs> except that's just not true. I mean, <laughs> right. I mean that that he he said all that and it was reported, but and the people who reported it didn't, from what I could see, actually do a lot of fact checking to show that's but not. We did. True. <laughs> I mean, that area is not booming. This was no. this is good news because it's a new company in that plant, a small part of the plant. Portman also talked about another business that GM is setting up inside the plant. And and I, I didn't get a chance to to fact check what he claimed, but he claimed that with the other business that the plant would be up to full employment from before. And I don't think that's I ever don't, been. I don't think word. that uh, from what was in other stories that I think they're looking at 1,100 workers at this um, battery plant between, I think, LG and GM, too. Um, so I don't think we're going to go up to quite the full employment, but it'll get back closer to the number. So Rob Portman was there and applauded Trump. <laughs> Senator Sherrod Brown 
said Trump didn't lift a finger. He said he himself works to get Lordstown Motors and the battery plant in Ohio with, quote, little help from the White House. So Sabrina Eaton wrote our story. She actually quoted um, several former Lordstown workers who disagreed with uh, claims that Trump saved Lordstown. And they said, no, he didn't do it. Yeah, I mean, it, look, it's a great photo op. It's it's good news at the plant. He's trading on it because it happened during his administration. But you're right. The people that helped do it, although they're Trump antagonists, say he didn't have a role in it. OK, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. What embarrassing error did the Ohio Republican Party make in attacking state representative Phil Robinson? And why does Robinson say that even the motive of the party deserves criticism? Jen Cahoon, this was a big oopsie. <laughs> that was going to be my line exactly, a big oopsie. They, The Republican Party put out an attack ad on Facebook that accused Representative Robinson, who's a Democrat, of being sued 20 years ago for an unpaid debt. The problem was that they had the wrong Bill Robinson. It it was not the state representative who had been sued, but some other guy with the same name. So this ad had had a picture of State Representative Robinson standing next to a big pile of cash, you know, obviously photoshopped, and it accused him of, of not being able to manage his own finances. Well, he was predictably pretty outraged, and, you know, he said, Hey, listen, I was 18 years old at the time of that lawsuit. I just graduated from high school and I, I didn't even have a credit card at that time. Interestingly, as you said, he had a, another take on it that, that he said, even though it wasn't him, he thought it was bad form to attack somebody over, you know, 20 year old debt during these tough economic times. And he, he issued a press release calling on the Republican Party to apologize uh, and, and take down the ad, which which he called defamatory. Well, they, the party did take down the ad. They they said it was the result of faulty research by an outside firm. <laughs> so, of course, somebody else did it, right? But um, they did not apologize to, to Robinson. He's still waiting for that apology. Rather, they apologized to his Republican opponent for, for causing him some trouble, apparently. And... Um, for what it's worth, the opponent, whose name is Shea Hawkins, said he wouldn't have attacked Robinson. Even if it were true, he wouldn't have attacked an opponent for a 20-year-old debt. Well, there are several things to, to think about here. I mean, one is, what a colossal screw-up. If you're going to spend that kind of money to do an ad, you ought to get your facts right. The, the second is the idea that that even if it's true, it's a low blow that's beneath contempt. But the third is, it is defamatory. And, and when you defame somebody, when you publish something that is demonstrably false, recklessly produced and damages somebody's reputation, as Robinson might be able to show this has, you got to pay them some money. So the fact they didn't apologize and show contrition, I'm surprised because that could ameliorate any lawsuit he files. It'll be interesting to see if he does, because this is pretty much de facto defamation. (laughs) They published false information that damages his reputation. And, you know, if it costs him some votes, he can show real damage. I am surprised they didn't apologize. I mean, it's a simple thing to do. Whoops, we screwed up. We're really sorry we did it. And instead, you said they apologize to the guy running against him. <laughs> yeah, that's. I found that amusing. This is oh, yeah. this was this is a false advertising mm-hmm. attacking a candidate's reputation. And, and if it ever did go to court, the fact that they're not showing contrition matters to a jury. I mean, it's right. something 
that that would would harm them. So, and th- this is a district, if I could point out, that's competitive. Robinson was the first Democrat to be elected to represent this district in decades when he got elected in 2018. So, you know, I think the Republicans see a chance at at reclaiming this seat. So they're they're going to pull out all the weapons they have. Okay, well, it's a fascinating case. It'll be interesting to see if he sues. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Why is Cuyahoga County Chief Public Defender Mark Stanton retiring before his four-year term expires? Chris Ranowski, I believe that this office has had a series of people that served for long periods. At least Stanton's predecessor did. He was there for, I think, a decade and a half. What's going on with Stanton? Um, Yeah, so he announced uh, this week that he will retire at the end of this year for personal issues, um, and he declined to elaborate on what that is exactly um i understand it's nothing untoward or 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 you know scandalous but it's something that he he uh he decided that he needed to step away from his job and deal with so um um he said it was a torturous decision and he notified his staff uh last last friday and that he would be stepping down and it's a tough it, job, right? I mean, this it, is one where you, you never have the budget you need. You never have the resources. Yeah, you, need. you never. Yeah, you never have enough attorneys. You have too many cases. And and, you know, it, you, it's it's a high stress, overwhelming job in just about every aspect of of, of working. So um, he said that he hopes to return to the legal field in some capacity in 2021. Um but now there is a a, a five member commission um, that is made up of three appointees chosen by uh, the Cuyahoga County Executive Armand Budish and two by the Common Police Court Administrative Judge, who will conduct a search to find his successor. Yeah, so we we will now have to just sort of wait and see who will be out there uh, doing legal work on behalf of people who need it. It's a bit of a thankless job. It'll be interesting to see who they get. It's yeah. this week in the CLE. Why are some people getting bills for COVID-19 tests? Aren't those tests supposed to be free? Laura Johnston, I, I had no idea this was going on until I saw our story. So why are people paying for those tests or getting bills for them at least? We are, are going to find out. Julie Washington is looking into it. But the COVID-19 tests are supposed to be free. Some patients are still receiving bills, according to this Kaiser Family Foundation analysis that was released in July. And so the federal law is requiring it to be free, but there are limits, meaning that some people could receive these bills. These are people who sought care but were not actually given a test, some who were tested at an out-of-network facility, some who have health insurance plans that don't meet Affordable Care Act requirements, and so they could get bills. So I sent this out yesterday on my our cleveland.com's text messaging platform subtext and got a bunch of replies from people that they were saying they were charged up up to about a hundred dollars for a test. And so we are going to contact those people with their permission, of course, and try to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, that would, that's a, that is a surprise because we had reported some time ago that, that at least the tests were no longer going to be charged to people. Um, so, all right, we'll look for what we find out from that. I do want to note that Kaiser studied only hospitals, not pop-up sites or pharmacies, like, you know, Rite Aid and CVS are doing these tests now. So there is a limit on the study, but what we're going to look into anybody. So if if you have any, if you're listening and you got charged, email us at news at cleveland.com. Okay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. 
What happened when a Cincinnati area lawmaker who was trying to impeach Governor Mike DeWine sent a list of 10 potential criminal charges to his local prosecutor to file against the governor? Jen Cahoon, this story is just wacky. <laughs> it continues to be wacky. I love Dan Tierney's response when he was asked for a comment about it, the governor's spokesman. So go ahead, explain what's going on with this Cincinnati area lawmaker. Yeah, this is kind of hard to do with a straight face, but luckily no one can see me. Um, <laughs> he he got slapped down pretty quickly. What, what happened is that the state rep, John Becker, who's on the, this impeachment crusade because he doesn't like DeWine's coronavirus orders, went to Claremont County Municipal Court and submitted this affidavit seeking 10 criminal charges against DeWine, several of which could be felonies. And they were things like, Corruption, terrorism, conspiracy, bribery, interfering with civil rights, you name it, all stemming from the governor's orders like the stay-at-home order and the postponement of the primary election and the face mask mandate. Anyway, Becker was hoping that, you know, to get criminal charges because that would bolster his case for impeachment in the legislature, which so far has only a few sponsors and hasn't gained any traction except among a few really ultra-conservative members of the House. Uh, But it didn't take long for the Claremont County prosecutor, Vincent Ferris, Ferris, sorry, to uh, to look at these allegations and conclude there wasn't any case there. He he basically said policy decisions should be left to the legislature and not be criminalized. And just to follow up on your your introduction there, Dan Tierney, the governor's spokesman, had a classic response. He said, if this were serious, I would have a comment because it is patently absurd. I do not. What 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 is the thought here? Why why would anybody continue to pursue this when it's clear this this will not get any traction whatsoever? Why why go through the motions? Is it just is it just a grab for attention? This is Chris Warnaski. I may, think I may have an answer. Um, we're talking about it, and we could be talking about something more meaningful and useful. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Okay, let's move on. It's this week in the CLE. Shane Bieber is the first Cleveland Indians pitcher ever to win the Major League's Triple Crown. What is that? Who was the last pitcher to do it and when? Jane Cahoon, it seems like this story just got underplayed by everybody. This is a big deal. There's 8 million sports awards all the time, all sorts of titles people try to get. But there are some that are truly special, and this is one. No Indian has ever done what Shane Bieber did. So what did he do? It's. I'm so glad you got to this topic. I I couldn't agree more. I mean, this, the triple crown is not something that that even happens every year. It it happens infrequently because you have to lead the league in wins, ERA and strikeouts. And so the last time a major league pitcher did this was in 2006 when Johan Santana of the twins won it. And the only other Cleveland player to win any kind of a triple crown, um, was Bob Feller in 1940 in the American League, you know, when he had a really big year. But Bieber's the first Indians pitcher to lead all of baseball in all of these three categories. I mean, he is just really something special. He's a treasure. He tied, actually, you Darvish of the Cubs with eight wins, but then he outright won the the ERA contest. His ERA is one. 
1.63, uh, better than Trevor Bauer, yay. And uh, he had way more strikeouts than than any other pitcher in baseball. He had 122 strikeouts in this abbreviated season. So he absolutely has to win the American League Cy Young Award unless maybe, as Donald Trump would say, the election was rigged. So, so is the reason this isn't getting the big treatment because it was an abbreviated season? I mean, they almost, they barely, they're not even a half a, a season, it was 60 games. So is it just the asterisk? You know, yeah, he won the Triple Crown, but it was a shortened season, so it doesn't yeah. really count. Don't get me started on how people only pay attention to the Browns and they, you know, the Indians get <laughs> short shrift. I, like, it's just, I don't know. It could be the abbreviated uh, season, though. It's its hard to say. It's just. It's huge. I mean, it is. Yeah. It, this is one of the, I mean, like you said, it's been 16 years, man. I mean, this just doesn't happen very often. And so everybody should be taking notice and it doesn't seem like they are. Well, he'll hes be on the field tonight, right? He's, he's starting for them. Yeah. And uh, I, I wanted to submit my resignation right now so I could watch the whole game instead of the debate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. We have some more time, so let's talk about what are the expectations for tonight's debate. What are you each looking for out of this thing? Laura, Jane, Chris, wh- wh- where do you think the uh, president's strengths and weaknesses will be? What do you expect from Joe Biden? Uh, Jane, you go first. You're the politics editor. You've clearly thought this all out. <laughs> well, I've thought about, you know, Hillary Clinton was pretty effective at pushing those buttons with Trump to, to, to get a rise out of him. So I'm sure Biden is getting some similar advice. But I but I think that his advisors want him to not lose. And, you know, I hate to say it, but there might be a focus more on not losing rather than slam dunk winning because you know he's he's got to really be steady and he can't take the bait from Trump either. Chris Wernowski, you think the income tax issue will come up? I don't know. It's not on Chris Wallace's list of topics. Uh, you know, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we can talk about race and crime in the cities, which seems totally offensive. But um, I, you know, my, my hope out of this is, is that, you know, that Chris Wallace does some real time fact checking because not, but you know, it, it's, it's uh, God, like, I just, I'm not looking forward to it. Like, I wish I was looking forward to this more, but I just, I, 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 you know, I hope Biden comes across as, as alert and competent and, and I, you know, and we know what Trump is going to come across. Like he is in our lives and in our minds and on our televisions almost constantly. So we know what that sounds like. Well, um, you mentioned you mentioned the fact checking, and I did read, you know, because Donald Trump is given to making false statements. I mean, there have been thousands of false statements. I like your d- diplomatic way of putting that, but okay. Yeah, false that, right. He lies. So, so <laughs> I read an analysis that said, and it was based on some sourcing, that the Biden camp is urging him not to do the fact checking, to leave that to Chris Wallace, but that if Wallace doesn't do it, or if there's an egregious example that Biden might speak up. I mean, if if Trump says, the, you know, hey, I've done a great job with the coronavirus, which is completely and demonstrably false, that we are the worst country really at dealing with this uh, when we should have been the best. You, you would hope that Biden would point that out and say, actually, that's probably the biggest failing of your presidency. There's 
200,000 people who were dead, and a lot of them might not have been if you had reacted the way most leaders would react in your situation and and treated it as a crisis instead of trying to keep it secret from Americans. But I don't know. I mean, you'll ha- we'll have to see whether, I mean, you're right. Chris Wallace picked, you know, okay topics. I think there's a lot of other topics on Americans' minds and conflating race and violence does put a an edge into this that that's almost a judgment call. Laura Johnston, what are you looking for? I, I I agree with my colleagues what they're looking for. I I want to see who gets flustered and and if there are any outbursts. Um, and I hope that there's no outbursts outside the auditorium where this is happening. And I hope it's a peaceful night. In part yeah. because I'd like to go to bed before two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see if we have lots of protests and things going on. Our reporting teams will be out and about scouting to see what the events are. Okay, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. Good discussion, guys. we got a long day ahead of us. And when we come back tomorrow morning, we're going to be bleary-eyed and probably tongue-tied in discussing what ensues for the rest of today. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Jane. Thanks to everybody who listens to This Week in the CLE. We'll be back Wednesday to discuss what happened in Cleveland in the presidential debate. <laughs> 